Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him, the scriptures say. Thank you very much. Boys and girls ages four years old through the fourth grade, you can head out to Children's Church, four years old, four years old through the fourth grade. That's a lot of boys and girls, good. Pardon me for not introducing Liz's mom all the way from Alabama. I left you out, and I'm very sorry. I, had to have, I hope they didn't get you here to unload the truck and all that yesterday. Probably watch the grand boys while everybody else is working. Well, I'm glad you could come and visit us also. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians as we continue our study of the book of Ephesians today. Last Sunday, our text was Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 24. Would you look at verse 21, please? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, Ephesians 5, 21. That was our main text last Sunday. And we said that uh, verse 21 really is a continuation and an introduction. It's a continuation of that which has gone before, and that was basically the message on uh, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And if we're filled with the Spirit, then there are some results that come with that. We speak to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing, make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Uh, we are giving thanks to God always for all things. And then this follows along with that. This is the last ING, okay, the result being Spirit-filled. We will be people, believers, who are submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. We also said that that verse is an introduction to the verses that follow, all the way beginning at verse 22, all the way down through chapter 6 and verse 9 is one particular message, one particular uh, theme, and that is all on the theme of the keyword is submission. Submission, we submit one to another in the fear of God, and that involves husbands and wives, that involves parents and children, and that involves masters and servants, and that's the message from verse 22 all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives submit to husbands, husbands, husbands submit to wives, children submit to parents, parents submit to children. Masters submit to slaves, and slaves submit to masters. There's mutual submission. We looked last week at verses 22 through 25. The first uh, uh, person there for uh, discussion, message was, on the, to, was to the Christian wife. Wives, submit yourselves into your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. We saw there that the key word for the wife was the word submission, and which means to, be, to arrange under. It's a military term, to arrange under, to put yourself under, to set yourself under. So it's a submission or to be in subjection to or to obey. And we, we were given the main reason here that the wife is to be in submission to her husband. And that is because the husband is the head of the wife just like Christ is the head of the church. Now we go to the second person on the list and that's the husband. Submitting person number two, the husband. And that passage is, begins at verse 25 and goes to all the way through 35, uh, 32, 33 rather. We will not read that now, we'll read that later. But the, um, the husband basically says, you know, uh, you shouldn't be thinking this way, but some husbands do. They say, you know, uh, obviously from Scripture here, uh, if the wife's main responsibility is to, is to be in subjection to me, if the wife is to submit to me, then I guess my main thing would be to order her around. Does that make sense? All the men probably saying amen. I mean, if that's the wife is supposed to do, submit to me. 
she's under my leadership, I'm the head, then I guess that's what I do is I just, I just order her around. I bark out all kinds of commands for her to obey. I demand that she respect me and that she submit to me. And then I do whatever I need to do to make sure she does because that's what the Bible says. She's to be in submission. She's to be in subject to her husband. So that means I'm the authority. I'm the head. I'm the boss. I'm the master. I'm the king. And you know, I hate to say this, but I think there are men who think like that. And I don't like saying this, but it is true. I'm not mentioning any churches. I know some churches where that principle is basically taught, and women live in fear. I mean, they are, they are, they are continually reminded, you are to be in subjection. You are to be submissive. Your husband is the master. He is the king. He is the boss. He is in charge. He is the head. And that is really, that's preached, that is preached, I think, overboard. Uh, is this what God says the husband's supposed to be thinking? Is this what God in this passage says the husband's supposed to be doing? I mean, let's just read the verses, Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, and see if you get the idea here that the husband, because the wife is to be in subjection, that he is a demanding person, that he, he barks out the commands. He's, he's, he's always totally in charge, and he beats her down, so to speak, into a place of submission. Let's see if that's what God says here, Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak of Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, help us understand these verses of Scripture today. We thank you, Father, for your word and that it gives direction clearly to the Christian wife and now in our passage today, the Christian husband. I pray, Father, that you would just open our eyes and help us understand the, the meaning of your word here and that our husbands especially might take notice of the attitude and that we should have and the actions that we should have toward our wives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we read these verses, I think it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that the key word here has to be the word love. I mean, you find the word over and over, and they're the husband. I like to think of it this way. The husband is a, a loving leader, like the wife is a submitting follower. The husband is a leader, but not just a leader. He's a loving leader. So love is the key word here. We're going to see this in our study today. This morning, we're going to put the focus on the husband. What does God say about the Christian husband here, especially the husband? And tonight, the Lord willing, we will talk about, we'll put the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's mentioned many times, as you caught in this passage of Scripture. And you know me, I can't preach, I can't, how many, nine verses here? I can't preach nine verses in one message. It's got to be at least two, but it won't be three or four. 
and it won't be the typical uh, exegesis that I like to do, just working your way through word by word and phrase by phrase. I'm going to put more of an emphasis this morning on the husband and put the focus on the what is the husband's attitude, what is the husband's action, and especially I'm going to try to make it as practical as I can with a lot of application for husbands. And then tonight, we will look more at the person of Christ. If the husband is supposed to love the church or love his wife, even as Christ also loved the church and Christ Jesus has done all these things for the church as we find this passage, then that is a wonderful message in itself. So for this morning, let's focus on the husband. And then tonight, we'll focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. The word love is the key word here. And, and there are four uh, Greek words for our English word love. The first one is phileo. Like Philadelphia, phileo, what does phileo mean? It's brotherly love. The, the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's basically friends love, friendship love. It's nothing wrong. It's a good thing. And sometimes it applies even to family love. But it's basically brotherly love, especially focusing on friendship kind of love and family love. Then there's another Greek word for our English word love. It's the word eros. It'd be the word from which we get the word erotic, okay? It's physical love, romantic love, oftentimes sensual love, physical love. Romantic love, sensual love, eros. And then there's another Greek word. It's called storge, pronounced storge. It's basically parent-child love, or we think of it more as family love, love of kindred, relatives, especially parents and children, mom and dad and son and daughter, that love. And then there's that word that we often mention. It's the word agapao, or agapao, which is basically, we say agape, okay? Agopeo, agape love. What is that? That is... That is I want to say true love. That is supreme love. That is deep love. That, in fact, is the love that God is. Well, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Look up the word there, agape. God is love. True love, divine love, supreme love, deep love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, okay? That's not phileo love. That's not storage love. That's not eros love. That's agape love. God so loved the world. Galatians 5, 22, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. When God's Holy Spirit is in control of a Christian and he is filling us, then the fruit of the Spirit, the products of the Spirit come out in our lives, our attitudes, our words, our, our goals, our motives, our actions. And he says one of the things is the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that, again, is not the other three. That's agape loves. So when you think of agape love, there should be a couple of key words that come to your mind. And those words, I believe, should be giving and the word sacrifice. So husbands, I mean, start thinking now, if there is something that God says should be our attitude, our actions toward our wife, it focuses on the word love. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it. So when you think of Christ loving the church, and therefore you think of a husband having that kind of love and displaying that kind of love for his wife, then if it's agape love, which it is supposed to be, then it is going to involve sacrifice. There's going to be giving, there's going to be sacrifice. That has to come to our mind. And these should be the two words, I think more than any other word, these should be the words that are on the mind of the husband often. I mean, throughout the day, there should be some time where we're thinking of Giving. When we think of our wife, it's giving, giving. When we think of our relationship with our wife, it should be, it should be sacrifice, sacrifice. Say, what do you mean sacrifice? Give her a, uh, some kind of sacrifice. No, I'm saying no. Sacrificing something. Sometimes we sacrifice our time. Sometimes we sacrifice some money. Sometimes we sacrifice some effort, some energy, some inconvenience, whatever it is. But if it's true love, then it has to focus on those two words, giving and sacrifice. 
basically continually thinking that way because it is a part of, it's the main thing that has to do with our responsibility toward our wife is to be giving and to be sacrificial. My definition of love, by the way, we were down in Tampa about a month ago, first week of February, two months ago now, man, time flies, okay? And some, some lady in church came up to me after church on Sunday morning and she said, Pastor Kashis, you remember me? I kind of looked at her, I'm thinking, you know, you're supposed to remember everybody you've ever met. You ever gone to, you've ever gone to some place where you haven't been like for 40 years? And they think you, they remember, you remember everybody there, their names and their address and all that. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm sure I look a little different than I did 40 years ago. And I mean, she certainly did. And she comes up to me, she says, uh, do you remember me? I said, well, I'm not sure. And before she said anything else, she said, I always remember your definition of love. Well, that told me that she was there when I used to be there. She's probably in my youth group. I don't know. I said, you remember? She says, yeah, I remember your definition of love. I said, what is it? And she said, love is giving of yourself sacrificially to meet the needs of the cherished object, expecting nothing in return. She said, how's that? I said, that's word perfect. Love is giving of yourself sacrificially. There you go. Love is giving of yourself sacrificially to meet the needs of the cherished object expecting nothing in return. She said, that was your definition of love. I said, yeah, it was and it still is. And husbands, that's what we need to be remembering. Love is giving of ourselves sacrificially to meet the needs of the cherished object, expecting nothing in return. I was doing some reading this past week and Dr. Kenneth Wiest, word studies, uh, word studies of the New Testament. I found this really interesting. Here's Dr. Wiest's definition of agape love. He says, agape love is a self-sacrificial love, a love that impels the one loving to give himself in self-sacrifice for the well-being of the one who is loved. And I thought, that's kind of like what I said. Maybe I read that when I came up with my definition. I don't know. He's older than I am. Probably had this book written. I don't know if I ever had it back then. But just get the idea, man. Keep, keep thinking. It's, it's love is giving. Love is sacrificing. And so we think about what does that lead us? As the wife determines that she is going to be submissive to her husband, what does God say she's supposed to do? On what or on whom is she supposed to focus her attention? Remember, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto, together, unto the Lord. So the wife focuses on the Lord and his relationship with the church. And so like the church is in subjection to Christ, he doesn't, the believer doesn't tell Christ what to do. He's under the control of the leadership of the Christ. He's our head. And so the husband is the head of the, uh, of the wife. Then we expect that the wife is going to take some directions uh, from, the, from, the, from the husband and not be in control and give all the directions. So that's true for the wife. What about the husband? God says the same thing for the husband, okay? You want to be what you're supposed to be? Then you better put your focus more than on your wife, more than on yourself. You better put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, love yourselves even as, so put your eyes on the Lord. You want to be submissive? You want to be the person you're supposed to be? All right? You want to do what you're supposed to do as a husband? Then you better focus on the person of Christ, just like your wife, just like your wife is focusing on Christ to be subjection. Now you're going to focus on Christ to be the right kind of leader. That's how it goes. He looks to Christ. What a perfect, perfect example. What a perfect model of love. I mean, when you think about it, think of all, you want to you be blessed. I mean, just stop your life sometime and sit down and just think of all that Jesus Christ suffered for us. 
Think of what he went through when he chose to leave heaven and come to this earth. As the virgin-born son of God. The one who never said a wrong word, never did a wrong deed. He, he never thought a wrong thought. He's absolutely sinless. He's above reproach. Brother uh, Tillman, the this morning, talked about the word blameless. Without blame. If there ever truly was and is a blameless person, would you agree he's the son of God? Then you think about what he went through so we could be saved. Just read the Gospels. Just imagine yourself being with him, walking with him. Brother Tillman also mentioned Sunday school this morning how Jesus many times had to say to the had to say, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He had to speak strongly to them. But think of what they did to him. Think of how they spoke to him. Think of the questions they asked him. I mean, think of what they put him through, just the scribes and the Pharisees. And then think about his mock trial. You know, his arrest, what a joke. His trial. And all the people who said he's innocent. We talked about this Wednesday night in Shoe Seekers. But think of all that he went through, all that he suffered. Just, just, just think of what it must have felt like to have a crown. We've been to Israel. The thorns probably were about that long, two to three inches long. That's the thorns they made that crown. It wasn't little sand spurs, folks. And to think what, what must it have been like when they took that crown of thorns and they jammed it down in his head to make sure it would stay there. And he did that for us. And they, they blindfold him and they beat him with the palms in their hands and they blaspheme and they mock. Say, yeah, okay, yeah, you know everything. Tell us who smote you. Boy, he could have said everything there was to say about them. Amen? And they crucify him. None of us can imagine what that's like. Why do you do that? Why? Why all that? For us. He suffered for us. That's what this is all. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also Loved the church. He sacrificed greatly for us. That's what we need to remember. We said last week that the wife naturally thinks of herself naturally now in the flesh, sinful flesh. She wants to be independent. She doesn't want to be submissive. She doesn't want to be subjection. She wants to be independent. And sometimes she wants to be autocratic. She wants to be the one who is in charge. She wants to be the one who does give the commands. That's, that's typical of an unsaved wife, and surely you can see it in culture and society today. And it's also typical of a backslidden wife or a wife who's not filled with the Spirit. They just want to be a little independent. They want to be a little autocratic. That's the temptation for the wife. What about the husband? The husband, in his natural self, he, he doesn't want to love the wife with sacrifice and with giving. No, he wants to be a little uh, self-assertive, a little self-centered. He wants to look after himself. He wants to follow his own interests. He wants to spend time on his own hobbies. He wants to buy the things that he feels like they need. And the list goes on and on. The husband basically is tempted to, to look after himself and hope the wife does okay, hope that everything turns out fine. Oh, she has kind of a nice day, you know. That's the typical husband. No, God says, no, no. No, love is sacrificial. Love is giving. Like all that Jesus Christ went through for us, Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. That's not the end of the verse. That he might deliver us from this present evil world. 
According to the will of God our Father, to whom Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. Jesus Christ loved us. He gave himself for our sins. And he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. Praise the Lord. That's, that's sacrificial love. That's giving. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, finish it with me, and he gave himself for me. That's the Lord. How did this, how did this fifth chapter of Ephesians begin? Right, probably right across the page for most of us, I think, in our Bible. Look at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. How this whole chapter begin? Be ye therefore followers or imitators, mimic God as dear children. And walk in together, aloud, and walk in love. Oh, really? Just, is that all he says? Walk in love. He says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath, next word, given. Given himself for us and, next word, offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. There it all is. That's for all of us in verses 1 and 2. Be followers of God as dear children and, and walk in love, just like Christ also loved us, and like he gave himself as an offering, a sacrifice for us. God says that's where the husband keeps focusing. He keeps focusing on, on the love of Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Look at verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 5. That he might sanctify it. Let's read along with 25 again. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, we'll talk about that tonight, and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You say, Pastor, what's that all about? To summarize that, Jesus Christ had his bride, the church, in mind in everything he did. He was all about others. Remember, remember Philippians 2? Let this mind be new, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, he's, right, he, right before that he says, think not every man on his own things, but also every man on the things of others. And then he says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And the next three or four verses, all about the the. The humiliation, the self-humbling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Down, 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 down. Submissive obedience to the will of his Father. Even submitting to, the, it says, the death of the cross. And God says, husbands, be thinking about that. It's all here in verses 26 and 27. We'll focus on that tonight. So to the husband, what does he do? He keeps thinking, how can I give myself for my wife? How can I live with my wife's best interest in mind? How can, I this, how can I this day have the good of my wife as foremost in my mind? How, how, she's, she's my love. She's my life. She's my everything. And, and how, can I, how can I help her the most? He, he always has his wife's best interest in mind, just like Jesus Christ did all these things because of us. So whatever sacrifices he makes, he gladly makes them because that's what he desires. His greatest joy is meeting the needs of his wife, not meeting his own needs. And I want to mention this also. Loving the wife takes an act of the husband's will. Just like, just like for a wife to be submissive to a husband, that takes a, that, that's a choice. It takes, it takes an act of will. God did not make women robots. 
He gave us a will, and God says, now you're going to have to choose. Will you obey my word and be in subjection to it? Will you be submissive? To your husband? You have a choice. You do that with an act of your own free will. And now God says to the husband, okay, you love your wife. But you're not a robot either. You have a choice. You can, you can live with her best interests in mind, or you can live for yourself. You can live to meet her needs, to be giving and sacrificial, to meet her needs, or you can make sure all your needs are met. Take your choice. A friend of mine, when I was a student at Bob Jones University, uh, Paul Meyer graduated and became a well-known Christian psychologist. I haven't kept up with him. I know he wrote a book entitled, he wrote a book entitled, Love is a Choice. Love is a Choice. And he wrote that book especially because in his counseling, many wives were getting the attitude of, look, uh, you know, my husband's not as lovable as he used to be. I don't have the respect for him that I used to. He disappoints me in many, many ways. And I'm really having a hard time submitting to him. And he said, you have a choice, ma'am. You have a choice. Are you a Christian? Did you know what the Bible says? And you have a choice. And he says the same thing is true for the husband. Husband says, I really struggle. My wife's not as lovable as she used to be. And it's kind of, sometimes it's just really, really hard, in fact, to love her. And I'm thinking about, and then wherever he goes with that, separation, divorce, whatever it might be. Dr. Meyer says, oh, you don't understand. Are you a Christian? You believe the Bible? Then, then you have a choice. Love is a choice. You have a choice to make. And we as believers need to remember that that's all here in this passage of Scripture. In fact, keep your finger here, please, but go back to Romans 5 for just a moment. Romans 5. Romans 5. Because the next time, sir, you feel like maybe your wife doesn't deserve love anymore. She's not as adorable as she used to be. And now you see all these flaws that you never noticed when you were dating. You never noticed it when you got engaged. Never noticed it on your honeymoon, and for the first five or ten or so years of your life, it was like you married Miss Perfection, Mrs. Perfection, and all of a sudden you say, well, I didn't notice this. What about that? She's not quite as lovable as she used to. And I don't even know, Frank, and frankly, I don't even know if she deserves my love. Really. When you start thinking like that, you better remember Romans 5, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Romans 5, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the, next word, ungodly. Ungodly, that's us. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for, for, uh, uh, for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, say verse 8 with me together. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Oh, he's not even finished. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were, next word, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. You think we were really lovable when God saved us? Did we have all those perfect traits that Jesus Christ said, you know, I'm dying for perfect people here. You know, they really love me. They love truth. They love to do what's right. They, really, they, all, they all hate sin. They're just really good, lovable people. I think I'll die for them. That is not the case. While we were sinners, ungodly, enemies of God, 
rebels. God sent his son in love and Jesus died because he loved us. So love is a choice for us. You may not think she's as lovable as she used to, but remember, we're not lovable either. And Christ sacrificed and gave himself for us. That's what the scripture says. And so what God is saying to husband is, look, you just keep looking at me. You just get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off, off your wife that you don't think is real lovable anymore. You just get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and remember who you are than how he loves you and died for you. And things will start changing in your thinking when you get your mind off yourself and all the imperfections of your wife and you start thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. There, boy, go back to Ephesians 5. Go back to your text, Ephesians 5. Because also here, the scripture says that the husband should start thinking about himself as he seeks to experience godly love for his wife. But he's not thinking, it doesn't, when I say that, it's not that the husband should, should think of himself because like, okay, how can this benefit me? If I start focusing on being a, a good, loving husband, if I start to really change my attitude and be this really kind, loving husband, and I start making these sacrifices for my wife. Hey, how's it going to help me out? How am I going to benefit from this? What's in this for me? That is not what we're talking about. That's, that's the self-serving, self-centered, selfish attitude that naturally comes into a husband. What, what am I going to get out of this? How's this going to help me out? So when I say that according to this passage of scripture, our text, we should start thinking about ourselves. That's not what I mean. The point here is that, as a, and there's two lessons here, okay? As a man naturally loves himself, he looks out for himself. He takes care of himself. He just, that's just the way we are. Look at verses 28 and 29. 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet himself, and for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But he, what does he do? He nourisheth it. He cherishes it. It, it, even as the Lord, the church. I mean, the man generally, he just naturally, that's just the way. He's going to take care of himself. He's going to make sure he survives. He's going to make sure that, that, that his interests are taken care of. He's going to make sure that he stays healthy. He's going to make sure that, he's going to make sure. It's just always about cherishing and nourishing, you know, except, except when, they, when they're supposed to go to the doctor, they don't want to go to the doctor then. What man likes to go to the doctor? I mean, that's kind of one of the standing jokes among, you know, my wife, most wives say, my husband's just really, he's just, he's, he's just, he's so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And there's all these great traits, but one problem is he never goes to the doctor. Ma'am, you may not realize how much money he saved your family by not going to the doctor. Of course, now when he dies, then the money doesn't matter anymore, okay. But you know, the men take care of themselves. And by the way, then they get sick or they get hurt. And some men, it's like, Honey, don't bother me, please. I don't feel good, you know. And other men, it's like they're like they're a baby. They gotta be waiting on hand and foot, and the wife you can't can't leave their sight. And please bring me this and bring me that, you know. And you know, rub me here and put this on. And they take it. And it's like you know, it's like. And the wife is thinking, "Ooh, you're a baby." And other times it's like you know, if she's I don't really I'm, I'm fine. I'm gonna be I'm fine. And she knows he's not fine. She's like, I don't really need any help. Okay. But you know what I'm saying is the husband generally he he he, he kind of he has a way of protecting his body. He has a way of taking care of himself. I'm not sure they're all down there for that reason, but you just go down to the fitness center and look at the guys in there. They, they, they're pretty much interested in what they look like and how they're doing. And God says, okay, is that what, I'm, is that what he's talking about? He's not, he, that includes that, but that's not the main message here. Because look at the next verses. Uh, 
30 and 31. He says, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. And the idea here is when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ loves the church. He gave himself for the church. Why? Because the, the wife... the. The Lord and the church are what we are baptized at the moment of salvation. We are immersed. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We are the body of which Jesus Christ is the head, but it's one body. And that same thing is true of a husband and wife relationship. It's one body. The husband is the head of the wife, but the wife is a part of the husband. It's one flesh relationship. And by the way, that's one reason divorce is so bad. I mean, we'll go tonight to a couple of passages in Scripture that, that will tell us again, you know, how, how sad it is for the breakdown of the home and the marriage, you know. And it's like, you know, like the husband and wife are millions of miles apart, and then they just finally separate and divorce, and it's all over. And it's like, wait a minute, did you not remember what God said for this cause? Shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too, they twain, shall be what, you tell me? One flesh, there's oneness there. One body. Just like Christ and the church, one. So husbands, when you love your wife as you should, with her being a part of the body, your body, your one, when you, when you love your wife as you should, in fact, basically what God says is, you know, you're loving yourself. That's just the way it is. So God says to the husband, listen, you want to be right in your attitude and your actions about your wife and being a, a loving, then you better be thinking about Christ first of all because he loved the church and sacrificed and gave himself for the church. And you better be thinking about Jesus Christ because he's the head. The church is the body. It's one body just like you are the head, your wife, you're, you're, the, body, you're the one body. And there is basically a relationship there that is oneness. So when you take care of one, you take care of the other. It's just how it works. When I first came here as pastor, it wasn't the first couple of years, but I hadn't been here long. And a couple, a young couple came to visit our church. And they, they had serious marriage problems. I mean, they really did. And as I counseled with them, I mean, she didn't have much good to say about him, her husband. And he had very little to say good about her. I mean, they were literally at each other's throats. They had major problems. And I could tell right away, first of all, she had a really, really hard time being submissive. He, and he said, she doesn't submit to me. She always thinks that she's supposed to be in charge, you know, like she's kind of like the, the manager of this outfit, you know, and she's, she doesn't yield to me. And it's like she just so, she's just self, so self-assertive. And it's like, you know, like I'm supposed to be in another world. It's like, you know, she just won't yield to me. And that was true. But, you know, there's always two sides to the story. When I would talk with her, and I always talk with them together. I mean, together. I don't talk to them separate, together, okay? I say, well, you, you heard what he said. Is that true? She says, yeah, that's really true. But she said, could I tell you something, Pastor? He doesn't even know what love is. He doesn't, he doesn't show me any love. He says he loves me, but I never see it. And she says, could I just sit here and tell you some of the things that just in the last week that he has done that there, there can't be any love in that. So you have here a husband who's not loving his wife as God says he should, and you have a wife here who's not. Now listen, her attitude of not submitting, it doesn't make it right. 
but I could understand why she wouldn't be submissive to him because, frankly, he didn't deserve it. That did not mean that she should not be submissive. She's got to do her part. And so I got thinking, you know, I got to help both of these people. I got to help her be submissive. I got to help him be loving. And I wrote this thing I called the alphabet of love. So why'd you call it the alphabet of love? Because I came up with 26 ways that a Christian wife could be submissive to her husband as a, as a submissive follower. And they come up with 26 ways that a husband could be a loving leader. If you are going to be a loving leader, then these are some things you better start working on. And I, I began to use that in my pre-marriage counseling. I said, you know what? It's a shame you have to share this with people after they're at each, throat, at each other's throats and they've been married for a while and they're thinking about getting divorced. What about couples that are engaged and they're having counseling because they're going to get married? This would be a good thing for them to hear before they get married, right? So I had this alphabet of love. And I, and I printed them out. Uh, the, the alphabet of love for the wife was on pink paper. Remember that. And the alphabet of love for the husbands was on blue paper. And I just, I'd just give them out and we'd talk through it. You say, do you still have those? I have those. Well, did you bring the alphabet of love for the wife for church? To, did you bring that to church? No, I left that in the office. Why? How come? Well, that was the last Sunday's message. I forgot it. But today, because it's husbands, could I share the alphabet of love for husbands? Now, ladies, this is the time for you to pray. You say, Heavenly Father, if there's anything on this list that my husband needs, would you show him? Would you maybe like kind of like that just stands out when the pastor reads it? Ladies, this is not the time to do the elbow thing. I, I beg you, please. It is not going to help when I read something you say, oh, my, are you getting, you, I, I will allow you to look over and see if he's awake. That's fair. <laughs> if you want to nudge him because he's sleeping and you want to make sure he gets these, that's okay. But don't be nudging when you hear the one that's like, whoa, are you listening? And please don't say it out loud if you're thinking that. But I want to just read. In fact, close your Bibles. You talk about practical application. I told my wife sometime the week ago, I said, you know, as I think about my own preaching through the years, I'm not sure that I, I apply things as much as I used to. I think I, I really, 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 really focus on what does the Bible say? What does the verse say? What do the words mean? What is God's message here? And how can we apply it to our lives? I do that, but I don't think I get as specific as I used to. I just kind of hope people can figure it out. I'm not sure the husbands can figure this out. So let me help you out. Okay, here we go. I, I, I don't have time to comment on them, surely. And I don't have time to illustrate them from my experience. If I do that, I won't get through the first one. Because as I read all these, you know who I think? I think about me. In some ways, I'm a really good example of that. And I could give you an illustration. In other I say, whoa, I wonder what Bonnie's going to be nudging me whenever we get home. So without any extra comments... Without any extra, any explanations, any extra explanations, here's what's on that sheet. A, talk with your wife daily. It includes a lot of listening time. It's already getting uncomfortable. I'm <laughs> sorry, here we go. Talk with your wife daily. Include a lot of listening time. Be extremely interested in what she has to say about even simple everyday problems. If she didn't care about these things, she wouldn't bring them up. So talk about them. Letter B. Take your wife on dates regularly. Like you used to do before you got married, you know. 
Spend some quality time together. Let her see. Assure your wife often that everything's all right. Because the wife's number one need, obviously, is security. Letter D. Keep the house, the lawn, and the car looking nice and in good repair. Why would you do that? Because the wife's number two need is what we call the nesting need. She wants the house and things to be clean and neat and under repair. That's just the way it is. So work on that, okay? Letter E is the longest one. Most of the rest are pretty short, but E and F are a little longer. Lead in, oh, this is so important. Lead in spiritual discussions in prayer times. Make the Bible the center of everything, especially decisions. Number one, you better know your Bible, husbands. Number two, you lead the way in making family decisions. For example, we are going as a family to Sunday school. Don't ask your wife, you're in charge. And you're not going to be dating this young man, honey. That's what you tell your daughter. You don't have your wife tell her that, you tell her. Number three, knowing that her husband is right with the Lord gives the wife tremendous security. Letter F. Compliment your wife on her looks, her completed projects, meals, and ideas, and express gratitude for what she does. Show her that you value her. This helps your wife with another important need that she has. It's called the need of self-worth. As she thinks, I'm really important to him. He needs me. He appreciates me. He notices me. Letter G. Give your wife physical affection, hugs, kisses, hand squeeze, etc. at times other than bedtime. Also, always be available to meet her physical needs and desires even when you don't feel like it. Hide your feelings or change your feelings. Letter H. Verbally tell your wife you love her daily. Don't say, oh, she ought to know I love her. Tell her. Letter I. Work hard at being the breadwinner. The provider for the family. Maybe your wife could have a job to help supplement the income, but you should carry most of the load. In fact, it'd be wonderful your wife you wouldn't, wouldn't even have to work. You'd be the breadwinner. You'd be the provider. Letter J. Don't push your wife into making important decisions with pressure piling up because of your absence or your busyness or your fear or whatever. Letter K. Help your wife with the children in fact, when you're at home, you be the leader. Example, instruction, activities, discipline, homework projects, emergency needs, etc. Letter L. By the way, you know how it is for me not to comment on these? i got to keep going. Never criticize or belittle your wife before others or behind her back. Letter M. Never compare your wife unfavorably with another woman. Remember, if you look at pornography... You cannot help but compare her with others. And she will sense that comparison and be hurt more than you can imagine. Letter N. Refrain from talking about separation or divorce, even in a joking, non-serious way. Letter O. Give your wife some money to spend as she wishes without expecting accountability. Could I, would you, could I stop just one time and illustrate just once? And I'll go all the way to the end. The other day I was looking at the kitchen table, there's a receipt there. No, I was looking at my city card, and there's a, there a thing there, and it said $45. And I said, what's this? What do you call those fingernails? Color Street? Color Street. Some friend is having a Color Street fingernail partying on me. 
And so you buy three, you get a fourth one free. So she helps her friend out and she buys four. And it's like 45 bucks. I thought, $45 to color your nails. I thought, that's a lot of money. You know, you start thinking about getting retired and some money becomes kind of important. All of a sudden I think, wait a minute now. And I thought, you know what? She's already got some of those. How many you need? And then this thought hit me. Oh, I think a set is supposed to last for like three weeks. So like four sets times three weeks, that's 12 weeks. I can go play golf for four hours, and that's what it costs, just about 45 bucks. Usually 35 to $40. So it's fine with me to go play golf for four hours and spend $40, but she can't spend $45 for three months. I got thinking, hey, buddy, you better think about what you're preaching here. You know what I'm saying, men? Okay, I know guys, if their wife buys a skirt, it's like war, and they can go out and buy a $5,000 boat. You know, if the wife buys a, a pair of hose, <laughs> they still wear hose, ladies, socks, whatever, you know, it's like $10 for those? Yeah, and he just went and bought a 65-inch TV set, you know, so he can watch his ball games. I mean, come on, guys. Give your wife some money to spend as she wishes without expecting accountability. Letter P, show as much consideration for her and interest in your wife's family as you do in your own family. That's big. Never give your wife, Q, never give your wife a reason to be suspicious, disappointed, or jealous regarding affection that you show to another woman. Number one, never ride in a car with another woman. Number two, never give or accept invitations even to a business lunch with another woman. Number three, do not touch another woman unless she holds out her hand for you to shake. Don't say, well, that's just me. You know, I don't mean anything personal by this. I touch lots of ladies. My wife has no reason to be suspicious just because I put my hand on somebody else's shoulder or I hold her forearm or whatever. No, no, no. You should be careful to keep your hands off anyone and everyone except your wife. And also, this will never give another woman a reason to wonder. Letter R, refuse to bring up past problems and wrongs. That's big. Forgive and forget what happened yesterday, let alone last week, last month, last year. Letter S, offer to help your wife with typical, are you listening, men? Offer to help your wife with typical family chores. Do your own first and then try to lighten her load. Letter T, don't be physically demanding lovemaking when you know that your wife is extremely tired or sick, be considerate. Letter U, remember those special days like birthday, anniversary, Mother's Day, etc. Get your wife a card and flowers or a gift. Also note, remember also that flowers and gifts on just ordinary days lead her to think, you know what? He remembers me even when there's no obligation like Mother's Day or birthday. I must be special to him every day, not just on special days. I know what some of you guys are going to do. You're going you're to ask me how much I would charge for you to get the alphabet of love for your wife, and you're going to give her a copy for Easter. That's your Easter present. You, know? you didn't get that, okay? Letter V. Be home on time or call when you're late. This shows consideration for your wife's hard work, schedule, etc. W. Don't continually talk about your problems at work. Some problem talk is to be expected as you need a help me to share your problems with. But don't burden her down needlessly. She can sympathize and she should, but she can't solve your problems at work. Letter X. Make sure you are with your wife at crucial times, those, those few life's traumatic experiences, you be there. Letter Y. Refrain from talking unkindly to your wife. 
Don't ever yell at her or ever physically strike her. Settle every dispute before the sun goes down. And letter Z, know what your wife enjoys doing and encourage her to do it. Know what your wife enjoys doing and encourage her to do it. Even if you think it's stupid. Even if you think it doesn't sound like fun. Even if you think whatever you think. Listen, I know my wife, she enjoys going shopping. And you know what? I get excited when I think she's out shopping. I don't think, oh, no, there goes my credit card again. Oh, no. And, 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 you know, and she can shop for four hours and come home and buy nothing. That doesn't sound like fun to me. If I'm going to go shopping, I want to buy stuff. <laughs> she goes shopping for, she and Dara, they, they shop and they, they, they know what everything costs in all the stores and how much it's been marked down once or twice. And they know when it hits that magic, then I'm going to go. So she can buy something and she comes home and I'm, she's having a great time. She, she likes doing that. So you know what? I'm happy when she's happy. Go shopping. Some of you guys, I, I, I know what you're thinking. It's like, well, my wife likes this, but you know, just it, know what your wife enjoys doing and encourage her to do it. So I close with this. Verse 33 in our text says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife even as himself. This is a message for every Christian husband here, no matter how old you are, how long you've been married. And it's a message for you Young guys that aren't married yet. We've got a couple here, Kenny. Are you listening? You've been listening, Adrian? I hope so. A couple of guys over here. You guys better really be listening. Okay, okay. Are you listening, guys? Because someday this is you. This is you. And somebody today says, you know what? I, I just, I, I just, I have really failed. It wasn't like two or three of those kind of hit me. It's like, whoa, I'm a terrible husband. I didn't think I was a terrible husband, but most of those, it's like, that's not me. It's never too late to change something. Amen? It's never too late to change. Whether there's one or two or five or half of those or more, you say, oh, man, that's not, ooh, I can see why husband's supposed to be giving, sacrificial, like Christ. It's like, I think I've been living in an ego world for me. What's in this for me? And you, know, and you say, I really feel terrible. It's never late to say to your wife, I'm sorry, Pastor mentioned this in church today, and I thought, whoa. I better talk, I, bow your heads, please, would you? Never too late to change. I don't know how to preach a more simple message with a lot of application for our husbands today, but I, I, I hope it will be a help. If you forget everything I've said, remember this. Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself Father, we cannot match up to the love of Jesus Christ. We can't even come close to that. What a powerful example he provides for us. I pray that you will use the scriptures today here in Ephesians 5 to help our husbands in their homes to be a better husband, to be more giving, more willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to meet the need, the needs, all the needs of his wife. What glory that will bring to you, what joy that will bring in that relationship, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, please.